Welcome to today's audio podcast, a sermon teaching from Grace Bible Church of Akron. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of GBC and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at gbcakron.org. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at That's I-N-F-O at gbcakron.org. Also, if you would like to support Grace Bible Church, you may do so by visiting gbcakron.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome, Grace Bible Church. Thank you for those of you who are joining us here in person and those of you joining us online. As Pastor Jason mentioned, well, I guess I'll, I'll say my name. My name is Stephen. I have the privilege of being a uh, pastor here at Grace Bible Church. I happen to be the student pastor here at Grace Bible Church. And um, as Jason mentioned, we have spent the weekend uh, here at Grace with some of the students uh, that make up our ministry doing our Discipleship Now weekend. And I want to say this, not just about the students that went to Discipleship Now, but um, there's many of you parents in this room, some maybe perhaps watching online your kids are a youth pastor's dream. I mean that with every, every yes. Let's give a round of applause for those kids. They're a youth pastor's dream. It is so encouraging to see these young people loving God, serving God. And I know that is a testament um, to, to you in a lot of ways as parents that invest in your kids. And then I'm just grateful that you let them participate in something like Discipleship Now or Electric on Tuesday or coming Sunday morning to hear, uh, to have your kids in the service, in the, the, the student ministry wing. Um, it's a privilege and an honor. I know I speak for all of my adult leaders that it is a joy spending time with your students. And so that's, that's just for you parents to, to take in, receive, because they're a dream for me. They are a dream for me. I'm going to open us in a word of prayer if you will join me. God, over the past couple months, our church has been traveling through the words of the letters that were written to the seven churches. There's been a lot of things said, a lot of words that have challenged us, encouraged us. At times, perhaps those words feel like weights on our toes. My prayer is simple, Lord, as we look at this last letter addressed to the church of Laodicea, that we would not just hear it and see it with our eyes, but Lord, it would make that journey from our heads to our hearts. At times that distance feels like light years to take what we hear from you and apply it in our everyday lives. That's my prayer this morning. That you would help us not just hear but receive what you have for us contained in this letter that you have written to Laodicea. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Customer service is supposed to be helpful. 
but it is often not. Now, if you are in here and you work in customer service, I'll go ahead and start by saying, probably your team is awesome and you're very helpful, but you being someone who has probably used other customer service agencies or something from various businesses, also probably have had experiences with customer service that were not helpful. Maybe you have been transferred so many times you feel like a poor performing college athlete. Transfer, transfer, transfer. You've probably listened to entire symphonies by Beethoven while you've been put on hold or that 80s rock album that you like to listen to but not on the phone because the audio is horrible quality. You've probably experienced random disconnections after being on hold for hours and maybe your battery on your phone is dead so you can't even call back. And then when you finally actually get a hold of a human being, you enter into a game of supervisor hot potato where you're passed from department to department to department to department and never actually receive the help for the reason you were calling. I think probably most of us can relate to this. Can I get an amen? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes customer service is not helpful. But it's supposed to be. But just like customer so service is supposed to be helpful but is often not, churches are supposed to be helpful, but sometimes they are not. And that is the case with this church of Laodicea. You see, Jesus, he has called Laodicea's customer service line, and he has found them to be unhelpful. And we read in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, the words that Jesus has for the church of Laodicea. And he says this, to the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of all of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus begins his address to the church of Laodicea, and he, re he refers to himself as the origin of all God's creation. Uh, he, in this passage, particularly this translation, says ruler of God's creation. But what that means, he is saying to the church at Laodicea, all of the resources that you have, your money, your abundance, all of that is from me. So when I come on the line, the customer service line, and I give some feedback, you best listen to what I have to say. So I compare this to, you know, I really, I enjoy trying different foods. I'm not a foodie because I wouldn't like, I wouldn't consider myself that, but I do like trying new foods and things. And I also like to give my opinion, usually just to my family because who else is going to listen to me? 
But if I went into a restaurant and I tried something and I gave my feedback to the chef or the person cooking the food, my words may or may not carry much weight. But it'd be an entirely different thing if in that restaurant someone like Bobby, or what's his name, Bobby, Bobby Flay or Gordon Ramsay walked in the door. Their words would be taken more seriously. So when Jesus is saying to this church, listen to what I have to say, they ought to pay close attention to what he has to say. And his opinion of Laodicea is not good. His feedback could be considered or seen harsh. And again, he says, I know your deeds, they are neither hot or cold they are lukewarm. In order to understand the significance of this particular passage of Scripture, we have to do some diving into historical and geographical context, just for a minute. See, Laodicea was an incredibly wealthy city. It was known for its luxury black wool, right? They, they must have had, like, black sheeps that the... the, the I guess it's the fur, or the, it was soft, and so it made this luxury black clothing that was coveted by everybody in the area. They also were known for the medicinal eye medication. It's referred to as a salve that people would put on their eyes, and it would help them see if they had trouble seeing. And because of that, they were so wealthy that they had abundance of resources, they were so rich, in fact, that in 60 AD, they suffered a catastrophic earthquake that destroyed pretty much the entire city. And they themselves fit their own bill to restore everything. You see, the thing about the Roman Empire was cities that experienced catastrophes were often offered so much financial aid to rebuild. And they said, no, we're good. We've got all the resources we need to rebuild. We have so much. See, they had an abundant surplus of everything except for water. See, Laodicea, as rich as it was, was almost entirely dependent on other cities for its water source. So the first city was a little north of Laodicea, was a city called Heropolis. It was known for its natural hot springs. And to this day, people will go visit these hot springs. And I gotta be honest with you, it seems pretty appealing to me too. I kinda, anybody got spring break plans? You gotta you go, we could go check this out. But yeah, these hot springs were, were natural hot springs. And they were one of the water sources that Laodicea had to depend on. But of course, they got to get it from Heropolis. Another place just southwest of, or southeast of Laodicea was Colossae, and it is in what we now know as modern-day Turkey near the city of, and I'm going to butcher this name, but it's Denizeli. Denizeli. I don't know. It's as good a guess as any. Which means literally with the sea in Turkish, and it refers to this abundance of water that they had. And see, in order to source their water needs, Laodicea built these underground aqueducts 
that pumped water both from the high mountains and natural springs to the city and then from the southeast from Colossae to the city. But here's what would happen with that water. As it traveled from either the hot springs or the cold refreshing springs of Colossae to the city of Laodicea, it became lukewarm. The temperature changed. But that was hardly the only problem. It also became contaminated. It is said of Laodicea that if you were to live there, oftentimes you would drink the water, you would grow sick and involuntarily vomit. And so Jesus is using the current condition of the water for the church in Laodicea to point out their poor spiritual condition. He is saying, you see yourselves as spiritually healthy, but you in fact are not You see, the Laodiceans had become preoccupied with wealth, health, and success, which made them unhelpful. They became the unhelpful church. You say, how do you know that that was what they were preoccupied with? If you look again in verse 17, it says, I am rich. Jesus is effectively quoting them here, and he says, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. See, I'm convinced, though, that Laodicea never actually verbally announced this. I believe that Jesus is basically allowing their unspoken attitude and their lifestyle to speak for itself. That is to say that they may not have verbalized in those exact words, I am wealthy, I am prosperous, I need nothing, I need not have God in my life. They never verbalized that, but they lived in such a way that that was their reality. They had lost touch with God. Their conversations with God likely became scarce and shallow because they were too busy pursuing their riches. The amount of time they had available to serve other people in their community was abysmal. It was almost nothing at all because they were consumed with their business endeavors. And on the bad days that they felt guilty for the fact that they as a church were not really caring very much about the community around them, they had ample money and resources to numb their pain with. They had embraced what I call the American nightmare. That is to say that life is about me. I am going to get mine. The American nightmare that teaches us, no one treats me better than I treat me, so I'm going to treat myself. So easy it is to fall into this sort of mindset, especially in places that have affluent resources. But unfortunately, because of their preoccupation with themselves, with their agendas, with their success, their wealth, their prosperity, Laodicea had become unhelpful in the world. And here we learn a valuable lesson from Laodicea. When we become preoccupied with personal wealth, health, and success, we are susceptible to becoming unhelpful in God's kingdom. 
This happens two ways. First, our faith becomes stagnant. Instead of helping others, we are like standing water that breeds blood-sucking mosquitoes in your backyard. It's not moving. It's not effective. It's just still, and it's a breeding ground to suck the life right out of our community, out of our neighbors, and out of those we love. 1 Timothy 5, 6 says this, However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she's alive. So in this particular section of the book of 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to his protege, and he is pastoring the church in Ephesus. And Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, listen, you have got to do something about the widows that are in your church. You see, in those days, in Bible times, it's unfortunate, but when a woman lost their husband, they lost their livelihood. There were no life insurance policies to take care of needs. The workforce did not really allow women to be in a position to earn a living for themselves. And so the church, out of a, out of a response to need, said we will take on some of the financial burdens of these widows so they can live, so they can, so they can have their needs met. And Paul would write to Timothy and say, you know, some of these women, they're very young. They probably ought to remarry so they can, you know, have a livelihood. But some of these women are older and they may not want to remarry. And so you should bring them into the church and they should serve the community and serve the church and pray and spend time fasting and spend time, you know, lifting up their needs to the Lord in their, in their, um, in their intercession but then he points out, there will be some, though, who will be self-indulgent. And they, like a mosquito, will suck the life out of people. And they'll suck the resources out of the church. And he basically says, pay close attention. They need to be contributing. They are alive, but their faith is stagnant. And see, I believe this, when we as God's people become self-absorbed, we no longer are life-giving, we're life-taking. When we become so wrapped up in our own selves, and our own agendas, we do not bring vibrancy to a place, we bring deadness. And this is what Jesus is saying to Laodicea. See, your faith has become stagnant. But it also does something else. It's not just stagnant. It becomes toxic. Just like the water that traveled through the aqueducts to the city of Laodicea, Jesus is saying your faith has, has become toxic. I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth because you are no longer helpful to your community and to your world. 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10 says this, But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many and foolish, harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith, and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. 
You know, I used to read this passage and meditate on it, and I came to this conclusion, and I think it might be the wrong conclusion, that the person that is basically headed towards ruin is always the one that's pursuing wealth. It only affects them, is how I read this passage. But it dawned on me in reflecting and meditating on this verse that it is not just the one who is obsessed with their wealth that is hurt during their pursuit, but it is also those who are around them who are plunged into ruin and destruction also. I mean, think about it. How many families have been completely destroyed because the husband or the wife are more dedicated to pursuing riches than they are to cultivating relationship with one another? I mean, how many children in our society have literally everything they ever wanted at their access but lack everything that they need because we're too busy pursuing our riches We're too self-absorbed. See, I believe this with all my heart. I think that, and I'm I'm saying this of myself, that when I become self-absorbed, when I become obsessed with success or finances or health or prosperity, that I become so inwardly focused, I might still have faith in Christ. In fact, I might still even verbalize my faith in Christ, but instead of being helpful to the world, I'm toxic, I'm poisonous. And so Jesus is writing to Laodicea, listen, your faith is toxic. The people in your community do not see you in a positive way. You're a poison to the city. It would cause all of us in this room to do some reflection in our own hearts to see if we are obsessed with riches, success, and ourselves and do some reflection. And Jesus says this, our preoccupation with wealth, health, and success creates in us an inflated ego that leaves us pitiable, blind, and naked. So Jesus is very loving. I'd say majority of Jesus' words are meant for encouragement and they are meant to express this incredible committed love that he has for his people. But here, Jesus is taking shots at Laodicea. First thing he says about them is that they are pitiable, which is ironic because in their eyes, they had everything they ever not only needed, but wanted. They had it all. They needed nothing from God. And he said, no, in reality, spiritually speaking, you are like a beggar on a street corner with an empty cup. You've got nothing. You can't even rattle it around and make noise. You have zero spiritual change in your cup. It's just you're pitiful. The only, another time the word pitiful is used in the scripture, this actual Greek word is used to refer to Christians who, if, and Paul is saying hypothetically, if the resurrection of Jesus never happened, Christians above all people on the planet ought to be most pitied Because they wasted their entire life. I tell this to students all the time. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, my life is a sham. I'm wasting my time, 
right? I think a lot of us think, no, no, living the Christian life is good. It's like, it's good morally. It puts you good in a good spot financially, so on and so forth. That isn't true. If you read Paul, you hear him say, listen, Christians make sacrifices with their time, their energy, their finances. They are all in on serving Christ. They're all in on being a servant. But listen, if Jesus didn't raise, we're wasting our time here. We should just be pursuing what everybody else in the world is pursuing, their own personal agenda. Because if he didn't raise, it's not worth it. And so what, that is the word used here to refer to the Laodiceans. He is saying, you're so, you are pitiful in your current state of mind. He then says about them, you are blind, which would have been ironic to them because they were known for their eye medicine. He says, you're blind. Look, you cannot see past yourself. And because of that, that is the very reason you're blind. Because you can't see other people and their needs. You can't see beyond your own little world. You are blind. And then he says, you are naked. Again, shocking to them. Basically like the Gucci of their time, right? They had the finest clothing, the most expensive clothing, the highest quality clothing. Jesus says, you think you're selling Gucci, but you're selling Kmart. You're naked. By the way, Kmart doesn't exist anymore, I think. There might be like one. Who knows? The buildings are everywhere, though. It's a nice roller skating rink. Sorry if you worked at Kmart. Apologize. But see, Jesus saw them as incapable of covering up their shame. And as he said these things, you're pitiable, you're naked, you're blind. Here's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't just criticize, he offers solutions. He goes on to say, but here's the deal. I'm going to provide you with some helpful feedback that makes you useful again. And truthfully, church, only when we embrace Christ's helpful feedback and make the necessary corrections will we regain our usefulness in the world and in the community. That's the only, t- the only way it's going to work. His feedback to Laodicea is in verses 18 through 19. It says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. And then he goes on to say, I love this. I love Jesus. Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. These three things, gold refined by fire, white clothing, salve for their eyes. This is God's and Christ's helpful feedback to the church at Laodicea. He says, first, you need to refine your faith. You need to refine your faith. In other words, you need to put yourself in challenging situations that actually stretch you. See, here's the thing about refining things. It requires heat, it requires hammering, and it requires sparks. All of those things are uncomfortable. And Jesus is saying, you need to buy from me gold refined by fire. It's ironic because the church at Laodicea 
had, again, abundant supply, abundant resources. Listen, they had options. They, they didn't just buy their needs. They were picking their preferences. And Jesus is saying, hey, since you have the opportunity to have all of these preferences at your disposal, one of your preferences should be me. And you should buy from me these things. And of course, the irony is they can't buy them with their money. They have to do something. It's something that can be purchased through faith, not through finance. So he says you need to put yourself in challenging situations where you're stretched. Then he goes on to say you need to put on garments of righteousness. See, in their own self-sufficiency, in their reliance on themselves, their self-absorption, the people of Laodicea had forgotten the words of Jesus in John 15, 5, when he said, without me, you can do nothing. And what he was saying is, put on Stop trying to dress yourself in your success. Stop trying to dress yourself in your self-sufficiency. Stop trying to cover yourself up in self-righteousness. Those clothes don't work before the Father. Instead, put on garments of righteousness. By the way, those garments, they can only be given through Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. And when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, he says, here you go, here's your robe of righteousness, put it on because you're going to then be able to cover up the shame of your nakedness, the shame of your sin. It's the only way, put this on, receive this from me. So it's a reminder of the gospel that we can't dress ourselves before a holy God properly. We need a wardrobe maker in Jesus Christ. We need that. And then third, he says we need to seek to see instead of be seen. See, I think when we, were, when we acquire wealth or we do something that's successful, it is very easy for us to say, look at me. I mean, this is true spiritually too. Like, we just had this incredible weekend, Discipleship Now. It's very tempting for me to look at this weekend and say, look at what we did. Look what we accomplished. And, I, and, and, and it would be easy, be easy for me to say, even you see these videos and you see all these students in here, you, you could be thinking, I'm, in my mind, I'm wrestling with this ego where I'm saying, the church is seeing all these kids. They're going to be like, wow, he does a good job. Maybe we should give him a raise. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. It's a joke. <laughs> but yeah, like when we, when, but here's the thing is there's, there's, there's actions and attitudes that say, hey, see me, and then there's the way of Jesus. He didn't go places to be seen by others. He went places to see. 
I can't tell you how many times he'd be on a mission with his disciples. He's walking through the town and he comes up upon a a paralytic and his disciples are saying, go away. The paralytic's crying out, is that Jesus? I need you, Jesus. I need your help, Jesus. And the disciples are saying, go away. Leave him alone. He's got better things to do. He's got more prominent people to go see and meet. And Jesus, he doesn't hear any of what the disciples say. He's just looking at that paralytic and he says, I see you. I see you. And then he goes and he heals them. He goes places to see, not to be seen. And see, we, to to, to change that perspective, we've got to stop worrying about being seen. And when we go places to serve other people, or when we do things in our everyday lives, we need to be seeing people's needs, seeing people's pain, seeing people's suffering, and then seeing solutions and seeing ways that we can help. And then we'll be actually seeing with our eyes. Otherwise, we need that salve that Jesus offers to fix our vision. Now, at this point in the message, if you're like me, your toes hurt a little bit. Even the pinky toe, right? Usually that one's missed when someone steps, but all five toes, they hurt right now because Jesus has been stepping on our toes. But here's the thing I love, again, reminder he says, all those whom I love, I discipline, I correct. He is, he is saying this out, all out of genuine love and compassion for us and for Laodicea. Isn't that amazing? But then he goes on to say, to offer us out of love, again, out of love, a cell, like a solemn warning, wake-up call. Verse 20 says, here I am. I stand at the door, and I am knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with them and eat with that person and they with me. You know, I read this, I cannot help but think about my first job at Regal Cinemas in Medina. You probably, maybe some of you been there, the 16, it was 16 stadium seating, you know, before covid um, but I worked there for five years, and we had these people that would come in there called secret shoppers. You don't know who they are, but they're evaluating your business. And I remember one time we had a secret shopper come in, and we got a less than satisfactory review. Um, it happened to be that if you didn't get a 100 at Regal, everybody was getting to get written up, Okay. Like the managers would come out of the office like, we got a 96, you're written up, you're written up, you're written up. I'm even writing myself up right now, okay? Everybody was written up, okay? Everybody was in trouble. But then we would get further training so that next time a secret shopper came, we would be ready for them. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, listen, you've got to act quickly when it comes to putting these changes into implementing these changes because listen I'm at I'm coming at a time that you don't know but here's the thing I love about Jesus because unlike the secret shopper secret shopper would not knock on the door let us know he's coming they just show up right well Jesus he's coming at an unannounced time but he's constantly reminding us that he's outside the door he's he's standing outside the door saying be ready be ready for my return Be ready, and you know what? Every single time the gospel is preached in the world, be ready. Every single time you see a selfless act of love, be ready. Every time that we make a sacrifice as people to love other people, to put other people's needs before our own, 
Jesus is saying, be ready. He's saying, be ready for my return because here's the thing. I'm coming to my wedding banquet and I want to eat with you and I want to fellowship with you, but you've got to have the placemats out. You've got to have the fine china. You've got to have the forks and knives. And the way you do that is simply trust in me. Keep your eyes fixed on me. Know that I'm outside knocking on the door. That's how you stay prepared. And so he says, act quickly. Luke 12, 36 says, you are to be like people waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and he knocks, you can open the door for him at once. But see, here's a cool thing too. He doesn't just say, hey, be ready. He incentivizes, he incentivizes us to be ready. I never forget same, at, right after the bad review, we came back, got our act together, 100%, you know, woohoo party. And then the, the, the managers were like, instead of write-ups today, we're giving away free movie posters. So I think I got like brand new Transformers poster, got like a Lord of the Rings poster. It was awesome. Really cool. I remember that. It was cool. Jesus gives us incentives for us to be ready. A big one. He says, listen, if we implement implement the necessary changes, we will receive a promotion, a promotion. I'll tell you what, at Regal, I never got promoted after the good review. In fact, I never got a raise. The only time I got a raise was a minimum wage changed, okay? <laughs> Just the way it was. But Jesus is saying, listen, if you implement these changes, there is a reward, there's a promotion. Verse 21 says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, then he goes on to say, whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, if we shift from being self-absorbed to being a servant, Jesus is saying, you'll get to sit on a throne with me. I'm gonna read this passage, a familiar passage for a lot of you, maybe new to some of you, and that's okay. Matthew 19, 28 through 30, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, fathers or mothers, or children or fields because of my name's sake will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. Key phrase here, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Did you catch that? If on earth we're only interested in ourselves and we're putting ourselves first in the kingdom of God, we're last. But if on earth we're sacrificing, we're a servant, we're putting other people's needs before our own, we're, we're giving of ourselves, giving of our time, giving of our resources, we then in the kingdom of God will be first, will be promoted. The most perfect example of this we have is actually Jesus himself who in the book of Philippians, it says that he humbled himself to be a servant even to the point of death. And then, so that was his humbling. That was him being a sacrifice, sacrificial. He was putting everybody's needs above his own. He suffered on a cross bearing the weight of our sin. The wrath of the holy God of the universe was poured out on him. 
And he subjected himself to that, putting himself last. And then the Bible says that as a result of that, God the Father gave him a name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. There is no other name on, on, in heaven, on earth, or under the earth why, by which men shall be saved, or men or women shall be saved, right? Only Jesus saves. And listen, the name that we sing on Sunday is Jesus. The name that we're gonna sing in heaven for eternity is Jesus. We're gonna say Jesus, the Lamb of God that sacrificed himself. You see how that works? He received the promotion. He went from servant to savior. He went from the, you know, they were calling him the king of the Jews as they mocked him to the king of the universe, he offers us that same promotion. If we will put ourselves last here, he will put us first in the kingdom of God. What an incentive. But here's the thing, and as I close out and we close out this series, we can ignore this. The very last words in, these, in this particular letter is whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to show you something. It's a little picture, chart. So the seven churches that Jesus has addressed in Revelation chapter 1 through 3, they are geographically located in modern-day Turkey. The most generous estimate of percentage of Christians in those places is 2%. But most people who do this sort of research would say that there is less than 0.02% Christians in Turkey. Which says to me that the churches did not hear Jesus' words. They went in one ear and out the other. Because the church is all but extinct in Turkey today. Grace Bible Church in the church in America, the church in the world, we can either hear Christ's helpful and loving criticisms, or we can ignore what he has to say and completely lose our relevancy. And that choice is ours. So my challenge, the challenge to myself and to you who are here in person and online is this. Let's listen. Let's listen, receive, implement. Because otherwise our relevancy is all but gone. I'm gonna quickly close this in prayer. God, my prayer is simple. Simply allow us to hear what you're saying. To receive it and to implement it into our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.